Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where our goal is to help Christians love and live out God's Word. Uh, my name is Jesse Randolph, and I'm the senior pastor of Indian Hills Community Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Well, on today's podcast episode, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Dr. Tommy Ice. Dr. Ice is executive director of the Pre-Trib Research Center, author and co-author of numerous books, including Charting the Bible Chronologically, The Great Tribulation, Past or Future, Understanding the Olivet Discourse, Answers to Common Questions about Heaven and Eternity, and The Truth About the Rapture. Uh, Dr. Ice, I appreciate you taking some time to be with us today on the Sound Words Podcast. Looking forward to being with you. Great, great. Well, the title of this episode is The Rapture. And Dr. Ice, you've written about the rapture. You've spoken about the rapture. There's a lot of misunderstanding and speculation about what the rapture is or is not. And sadly, in our day, more and more doubt that the rapture is a real event recorded biblically that will really take place. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, Educate us, if you would. What do we mean when we refer to the rapture of the church? And where can we find references to the rapture in Scripture? Well, the rapture of the church is a term, a Latin term that developed in the uh, 1600s when scholars in Europe would come together and uh, meet. And they were from different countries, spoke different languages, but they all spoke and wrote Latin. And therefore, the word rapture is simply the translation of the uh, Greek word for the, for uh, describing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, where it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the word translated caught up is uh, where the word rapture comes from. So we don't, in our English Bibles, necessarily see the word rapture, but it's a translation, a transliteration of a word that refers to being caught up, snatched up into the clouds. Is that right? Yeah, it's not a transliteration, but it is a translation. in, in the case of the New American Standard, which I use, it's the word caught up. Great. And are there other reference points for the rapture in Scripture? Is it only First Thessalonians 4? Do we see other references in the Bible to this event? Well, there are other references. Jesus introduces the rapture in John 14, 1-7, in what is called the Upper Room Discourse, the night before he was killed. And once Judas leaves the room two-thirds of the way through, chapter 13, and that discourse runs through chapter 17, uh, then he, everything Christ talks about is brand new church age truth. And so he shifted, for example, from Matthew 24, two or three days earlier, where he's talking about Israel's future, and he begins talking about the church's future. And so he uh, says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, you believe in God, believe also in me. And he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Uh, if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you. I, I will come again and receive you or take you to myself, that where you where I am, there you may be also. And so we believe that this is the first passage that talks about the rapture, because he's going to come back in the sky, as it talks about in other passages, and he's going to take or receive, uh, depends on if it's active or passive there, I think it's active, so take, better translation, he's going to take uh, believers to be with him. 
And uh, this is one of the arguments that we as pre-tribulationists use is that we are looking for the rapture, which is the next event. And Paul also describes the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 15, and he calls it a mystery. And in verse 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. By the way, the word sleep is used 83 times in Paul's writings for the death of a Christian. And he says, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. And so uh, he's talking about, he goes on and talks about how we need a new eternal body to be able to, uh, for all eternity from that point on. And that occurs for the first people group in history, uh, the church at the rapture. And the rest of believers will be resurrected at the second coming, which happens at least seven years after that. And so the New Testament uh, is the only place where you see the rapture being talked about because it's a church age truth. And so it's called a mystery, meaning that it was not uh, described or taught before that. And there are other passages that we often point out to uh, that relate to the rapture. But these are some of the, the more central ones. That's incredibly helpful, and and you've referenced already there a couple of um, eschatological time points or, or checkpoints. You've mentioned the rapture, we've, which is the, the theme of our podcast. You've mentioned the second coming. Could you help us understand a bit more, more broadly, sort of zooming out here, the sequence of upcoming eschatological events and where on that timeline the rapture will take place? Yes, we believe we're in the church age. It's been almost 2,000 years mm-hmm. after the rapture, then a, something called, we call the tribulation, which is a seven-year period, uh, which is the unfinished week of years uh, from Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. And uh, it is followed up in the book of Revelation, for example, and in the book of Daniel uh, as divided into two, three-and-a-half-year periods. And so it starts that seven-year period starts after the rapture. And I believe, by the way, that there could be a few years even between the the rapture that ends the church age. And then, and this is the purpose of the rapture, by the way. It's to end the church age because God has, in a sense, two programs going on at one time. The church age is where Jew and Gentile are co-equal in Christ through belief in the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And then that ends in order for him to finish his unfinished business with Israel. And so that's the, the purpose of the rapture. And therefore, the, after the rapture, the tribulation will start at some point by signing of a covenant between Israel and the revived Roman Antichrist coming out of Europe, I believe, somewhere. And uh, then that seven-year countdown begins and it's divided into two sections, and the midpoint is when the uh, the Antichrist, who has been killed, I believe, and resurrected, I believe God resurrects him, and he then sets his image up and, and uh, betrays Israel uh, with having a time of temporary peace for the first three and a half years, and the Jews flee from Israel. And there are a lot of other things going on, like the 144,000 Jewish witnesses that are going to help evangelize the world during 
especially the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and the two witnesses, for example, uh, that are going to be in Jerusalem preaching the gospel to the uh, Jewish people. Uh, and then the second half of the tribulation begins with Israel, uh, the, many of the Jews having left uh, Israel and Jerusalem and gone to where called Petra in Jordan, and they will be protected there. And so you have the seal judgment, the bowl judgment, so I think that happened in the first half of the tribulation, and then the uh, seal trumpet and bowl judgments. So the seal and trumpet judgments happen in the first half, and then the bowl judgments happen in the second half, and that leads up to the second coming of Christ. And the second coming is a rescue event where Christ returns to rescue the Jewish people that are on the verge of, of being uh, wiped out as a people group. And uh, he comes and rescues them. And at this point, the, the two-thirds of the Jews that are left uh, from uh, the seven-year tribulation will be all will become believers in Christ, and they'll call on him to rescue them. And Christ returns. And then we go into the thousand-year millennium where uh, Christ reigns and rules over the planet Earth for a thousand years, and he personally lives in Jerusalem at that point. All right, that is very helpful. Um, and just in terms of laying out chrono- chronologically the events that we have to look forward to, um, how has the the doctrine or the the, the uh, recording of the rapture in Scripture been viewed throughout church history? You know, there have been those I know who say, you know, who, who would disagree with you, who would say the rapture either isn't an event recorded in Scripture or is an event that has been more modernly invented by certain tribes of Christianity. What's your understanding of the history of the doctrine of the rapture throughout church history? Well, uh, a little over 30 years ago, I started working full-time as director of the Pre-Church Study Group and Research Center with Tim LaHaye. And this has been one of our major projects uh, over the years, is looking into this issue. And when I started a little over 30 years ago, we did not know of anybody uh, other than Darby in the late 1820s that taught a preacher rapture. However, there are over 500 volumes of church history that have never been translated into English. Hmm. And... We have scholars now that have been going through these, uh, and, and some of them are even very anti-preacher, but they're honest enough to find, and we now have about 700, I mean 70, uh, preacher of rapture statements all the way back to the 200, uh, the 100, uh, all the way through uh, church history. And we're finding, uh, we have one guy that's going through all of this stuff in, in the Greek and the Latin. And so the earliest fathers wrote in Greek up until around 350, and then they pretty much wrote in Latin after that. And so he, he's, we, him and some other people have it up to about 70 different preacher rapture statements throughout history. Obviously, it was not a popular view by and large in the church. In fact, uh, you, you uh, one of the reasons is is around 425, uh, 435, I think. Uh, you have a issue, uh, one of the church councils uh, issued a decree banning premillennialism. Hmm. So you're going to ban premillennialism, and that, that lasted for over a thousand years in the church. 
you're certainly not going to buy into pre-tribulationalism because you have to be pre-millennial to be a pre-tribulationalist. But they're starting to come forward, and we found some uh, examples in amazing places that you wouldn't uh, have thought that uh, that would be the case. That's that's super encouraging to hear of your work in that field and the work of the scholars and the researchers that you have in that field, digging deeper, going into the Latin, to the Greek, and, and finding those source materials and uh, digging up, unearthing statements that relate to uh, a pre-trib rapture, premillennialism. It was called kiliasm back there, right? Back in those times, millennialism? Yeah, that's, that's the Greek word for a thousand. And as the church shifted to Latin around the 300, uh, you know, everything became more Latin. Mm-hmm. And that's the word millennial uh, is Latin for a thousand years okay. or a thousand. Mm-hmm. What are uh, shifting gears a bit? What are the basic views today that Christians hold concerning the timing of the rapture? And, and why do you hold the view that you do on that? Well, uh, first of all, you have to be premillennial in order to be a pre-tribulational or to have a view of the rapture. Uh, post-millennialists, well, let me explain the millennial issue. Uh, premillennialism is a view that comes, I think, directly from the Bible, where in chapter 19 of Revelation, Jesus comes back to planet Earth, and then chapter 20 records the thousand-year reign of Christ. So he returns and then you have the literal thousand-year reign of Christ. It's mentioned six times in Revelation 20, the word thousand. And uh, so premillennialism is the, was the view of the early church, almost unanimously. And then you, you have a rising and developing after uh, 3, 313, which is when uh, Constantine uh, Christianized the Roman Empire. And you go from about 8% Christians to 98% within like two or three decades of uh, that. And so there was no longer the persecution that the church had experienced uh, for the first 200 or so years of their existence. And therefore, uh, people were settling into uh, life, uh, you know, with Christianity being a dominant uh, situation uh, and as a result, you have what's called amillennialism developed. And that is the view that the church is currently in the millennium now. At least that's the early version. And so amillennialists don't have a view of the rapture. They just blend the rapture and the second coming into a single event. And the same is true with postmillennialism that later developed that teaches that Christ is going to return at the end of the millennium. And uh, they hold similar views in this area uh, with uh, millennialism. So within pre-millennialism, you had actually, uh, they, for many years, uh, blended the rapture and the second coming, but uh, with different exceptions that we've been finding. And uh, basically, you have the uh, pre-millennialism having pre-tribulationalism which is the second oldest view, by the way. Uh, and you have post-tribulationalism that equates the second coming and the rapture as a single event, although some more recent from the 70s post-tribulationalism says the rapture is going to happen right before uh, the second coming where Christians are, are 
caught up to heaven and come right back down. I, we call that uh, pejoratively the, the yo-yo rapture. <laughs> and But pre-tribulationism says that Christians are not going to go through the seven-year period. And one of the passages, real quickly, another passage that we use to teach this is in Revelation 3, where it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing. And so the hour of testing, everyone says, is the tribulation, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And so the purpose of tribulation does not, you know, include the church. And then you have mid-tribulationalists, and uh, those are people that believe it's going to happen in the middle. And even among mid-tribulationalists, there are, they can't agree even on where, what chapter in the book of Revelation the rapture occurs. And then you have something that's more recent called the three-quarters rapture view, or they call it the pre-wrath, because they, uh, we believe that the wrath is the entire seven years of God. Uh, because it's stated at the end of chapter uh, 6, where you have the first uh, seal judgments, and yet twice it mentions it as a summary statement of, of all of those uh, judgments, is the wrath of God. And so they believe that it's only about the last quarter of uh, the tribulation is the wrath of God, and the previous three quarters of the tribulation period is what they call it the wrath of man. And so, therefore, uh, they think the rapture is going to happen three-quarters of the way through. And that, that was only invented in the 1970s. So, pre-tribulation is the view that most conservatives uh, from about the 1880s within Christendom, uh, at least Protestant uh, Christianity in the United States especially, and in England, um, you know, have taught the pre-trib rapture. Okay. So we have the, the pre-trib view, the mid-trib view, the three-quarters view, the post-trib view, but ultimately we have what you mentioned in Revelation 3. We also have the statement, Jesus who delivers us, delivers us from the wrath to come, uh, supporting the, the pre-trib, pre-millennial view. That's, where, that's yeah. where you'd be, right? Yes, and also when you come to, you know, the Apostle John is receiving this revelation, and we believe chapter 1 is a general statement about Christ. Uh, and then you have chapters two and three with the seven churches or epistles that are written uh, about the churches that we currently live in. Mm -hmm. And then in chapter four, since John represents the church, it says, after these things, I look and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And so John is raptured up into heaven. Mm -hmm. In this vision, uh, where he represents the church, and the church is used 19 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, it's never used again until right at the end of the book of Revelation. It's used a couple of times there, and so it's never used uh, to talk about the events of the tribulation, which is 85 percent of the book of Revelation. Yeah, yeah, that's super important to remember. We're we're reading, we're, we're looking for individual verses, of course, that support our position or verses that uh, we need to be aware of that might the other side or the other positions might articulate. But it's also important, as you're you're mentioning, to read these books of the Bible as a whole, like Revelation, and to see these patterns. For instance, 
the church being conspicuously absent for all those chapters. And what does that point to but the fact that the church will not be uh, brought through the tribulation, but will be out of the world, having been raptured to meet the Lord in the air um, before the before being you know before the end of all things, before the millennium and and the uh, the end times or the uh, the eternal state, of course. Um, Doctor Rice, will there be signs of the rapture, and and if so, what signs should we be looking out for? Well, there are no signs of the rapture. It's a signless event, and that's why there's such an emphasis about. Uh, the, the scriptures talking about how we're waiting for his son from heaven hmm. and passages that refer to the rapture use the word wait you're waiting for Christ at any moment because there's no sign to look for mm-hmm. however when it talks about the second coming it uses the word watch so it, if you're in the tribulation and the second coming is getting near you're watching uh, events that are unfolding. And so when you look at the, the, the about 10 passages that talk about waiting for his son from heaven throughout the New Testament epistles, uh, then that's referring to the rapture. Hmm. And so as a result, uh, there, there are no signs. And that's the whole point. The church is to be uh, constantly waiting for this. And you see this played out, I think, in the first century of the, of the New Testament, and on into the, at least by the middle of the first century, they, they believed uh, that Christ could come at any moment. And, and it's, you see it reflected in church history uh, and the tremendous uh, efforts that were used for evangelism and discipleship uh, that many people say has, have never been replicated in the history of the church. Well, in, in our day, Dr. Rice, in what ways ought the reality of the coming rapture of the church be a comfort for us, be a comfort for Christians today? Well, uh, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, John Walbert, who was the president at the time and an expert in Bible prophecy, he used to say, when you see the decorations for Christmas, you know that Thanksgiving is near. (laughs) And so what he meant was we're seeing in our own day, and he's been dead for over 25 years now, and uh, we're seeing preparation for the tribulation. And that's going to take place after the rapture. So that heightens our expectation that that we're probably near uh, the rapture of the church because Israel's back in the land, and I've always called that the super sign of the end times. And uh, the fact that God has preserved Israel uh, as a distinct uh, entity because they, they are going to be used uh, to evangelize the world, among other things, and the nation has to exist. Jerusalem has to be under the control of Israel, which it is today, since 1967. And uh, so you see things like this. You see the revived Roman Empire in the form of the European Union and other things like that. And you see Gog and Magog, I think, the Battle of Gog and Magog, which is where Russia leads an invasion of Islamic countries to Jerusalem to try to wipe them out. I think that happens after the rapture, but probably before the tribulation. And uh, therefore, God intervenes supernaturally. It's not the IDF that uh, rescues Israel. It's God supernaturally does that. And then you have, uh, at the end, the, the campaign of Armageddon, where 
all the armies of the world come. In other words, this is a regional attack at the beginning on Israel. And at the end, you have a, a global attack, all the armies of the world, which will include the United States, I'm sure. And uh, other nations, they're going to come and try to destroy Jerusalem and Israel. And so, so you have uh, events like that being prepared in our own day. And, you know, we could cite articles of, you know, for, for example, the first, this is the first time in history that that combination of Iran, uh, Russia, Turkey, and some, some of the others that are listed are joining together in joint military exercises. That was, I just saw that just last week. Mm-hmm. And so never before in the history of the world have these ever, you know, come together in any military way like that. And so you see the preparations <laughs> for Christmas, so to speak, mm-hmm. even though things occurred. Yeah, yeah, eye-opening and super important to be mindful of, of those events and just sort of the, uh, the chess pieces being moved all over the chessboard, so to speak, in the world. Uh, Dr. Ice, this has been uh, tremendously helpful and just want to say thank you for your time today. You, you really have, uh, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, comforted, comforted us with the words that the scriptures give us about the rapture, that, that coming day where we will meet the Lord in the air. Uh, any resources that you'd recommend? Um, I, you, could you give our, our listeners more information maybe about the Pre-Trib Research Center or other resources, books on the rapture that you would recommend? Yeah, I recommend John Roberts' book on the rapture called The Rapture Question. Mm-hmm. The chart book that Tim Lai and I did called Charting the End Times uh, has been very popular, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it has charts along with text that help uh, people see, see the sequence, especially of events in relation to other events, if you will. Uh, and Pre-Trib Research Center, um, we have a huge website. It's located at www.pre with a dash or hyphen trib.org. And, uh, you know, we have over well over a thousand presentations there, articles and things that have been written. And the reason we started the Pre-Trib Study Group uh, 31 years ago is because uh, Tim LaHaye felt that we needed uh, academic support for our views, and that's what it is. It's an academic conference, but a lot of people, a lot of people want to watch those. And we have the last seventeen years on video that you can access uh, from our website as well, and also, like I say, well over a thousand articles uh, that deal with all kinds of questions relating to Bible prophecy and the end times. Excellent, excellent, and I can. Say, and I can vouch for that. I, I w- attended my first pre-trib uh, research group this past December, was greatly benefited and encouraged by the presentations and the scholarship that was uh, offered there. So yeah, go go visit www.pre-trib.org to, to learn more about that ministry and the various uh, contributors to that ministry. Well, the uh, the final word, as always in our podcast, goes to God and His Word from 2 Timothy one thirteen. Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. I thank you again, Dr. Ice, and thank you to our audience for tuning in to another episode of the Sound Words Podcast. Until next time, keep loving and living out God's word.